All right, this will be my third attempt trying to get this chapter to work, so hopefully this time will be the charm. Chapter 15 of the Where the Red Fern Grows. Over a dim, rocky road in the northeasterly direction, our buggy moved on. I noticed that the road stayed at the edge of the foothills, but always inside of the river. About the middle of the afternoon, we stopped at a small stream to water the team. Papa asked Grandpa if he intended to go all the way to the campground before stopping. No, he said. I figure we'll put up for the night when we reach Bluebird Creek. With a good early start in the morning, we could make the campgrounds in plenty of time to pitch our tent and set up camp. Late that evening, we reached Bluebird Creek. We didn't set up our tent. With the tarp, we made a lean-to and built a large fire in front of it. While Grandpa fed and watered the team, Pop and I carried our bedding and shelter and made, made down our beds. Grandpa said, while we're cooking supper, you see to your dogs. Feed them and fix them a warm bed. I figure the cook will come with some corn. I figure I'll cook them some cornmeal mush, I said. That's what they're used to eating. Mush, Grandpa growled. They're not going to have mush, not if I can help it. He walked over to the grocery box, mumbling as he did. Mush, a corn hound can't hunt on a belly full of that stuff. He came back and handed me two large cans of corned beef hash, saying, Here, reckon they'll eat this? I wanted to go and hug my old grandpa's neck. Sure, grandpa, I said. They'll love that. Opening one of the cans, I dumped it out on a piece of bark in front of old Dan. He sniffed at it and refused to eat. I laughed, for I knew why. While I was opening the other can, grandpa came over. What's the matter, he asked. Won't he eat it? Sure, grandpa, I said. He'll eat it, but not before little Ann gets her share. With the second can open, I fed her on another piece of bark. Both of them started eating at the same time. With an astonished look on his face, Grandpa exclaimed, Well, I'll be darned. I never saw anything like that. Why, I never saw a hound that wouldn't eat. Did you train them to do that? No, Grandpa, I said. They've always been that way. They won't take anything away from each other. And everything they do, they do it as one. Papa had overheard our conversation. He said, You think that's strange? You just should have seen what I saw one day. One of the girls threw two cold biscuits out on the backyard for old Dan. He stood and looked at them for a bit, then picked them both up in his mouth. He trotted around the house. I followed just to see what he was doing. He walked up in front of the doghouse, laid them down, and growled, not like he was mad. It was a strange kind of growl. Little Ann came out of the doghouse, and each of them ate a biscuit. Now, I saw this with my own eyes. Believe me, those dogs are close to each other, real close. After Papa had stopped talking, silence settled over the camp. Grandpa stood staring at my dogs. In a slow voice, as if he were picking his words, he said, You know, I've always felt like there was something strange about those dogs. I don't know just what it is, and I can't exactly put my finger on it, yet I can, I can feel it. Maybe it's just my imagination. I don't rightly know. Turning to my father, he said, Do you ever notice the way they watch this boy? They see every move that he makes. Papa said, Yes, I've noticed a lot of things they have done. In fact, I could tell, tell you a few that you would never believe. But right now, here's something that you'd better believe. Supper is ready. While I was helping myself to a hot Dutch oven cornbread, fried potatoes, and fresh side meat, Grandpa poured the coffee. Instead of two cups I expected to see, he set out three of them and filled them to the brim with the strong black liquid. I had never been allowed to drink coffee at home and didn't, see, didn't exactly know what to do. I glanced at Papa. He seemed too busy eating his own to pay attention to me. Taking the bull by the horns, I reached over and ran my finger through the cup's handle. I held my breath as I walked over and sat down by a post-oak stump. Nothing was said. Grandpa and Papa paid no attention to what I did. My head swelled up as big as a number four wash tub. I, I thought, I'm not only big enough to help Papa with the farm, now I'm big enough to drink coffee. With supper over and the dishes washed, Grandpa said, Well, we had better turn in if we want to get an early start in the morning. 
Long after Grandpa and Papa had fallen asleep, I lay thinking about the big hunt. My thoughts were interrupted with the wonders of the nightlife began to stir in the silence around us. From the ridge on our right, a red fox started barking. He was curious and in a small way, challenging the intruders that dared to stop in his wild domain. Far back from the flinty hills, the monotonous call of a hoot owl floated down in the silent night. It was the mating call and was answered from a distant mountain. I could hear the stamping feet of our horses and the grinding, crunching noise they made by their strong teeth as they ate the hard, yellowed kernels of corn in their feed boxes. A nighthawk screamed as he winged his way through the starlit night. An eerie screech from the tree cl close by made shivers run down my spine. It was a screech owl. I didn't like the, to hear the small owl, for there was a superstition in the mountains concerning them. It said that if you heard one owl, it meant nothing at all, but if you heard more than one, it meant bad luck. I lay and listened to the eerie twittering sound. It was coming from the left of our camp. The creepy noise stopped, and for several moments there was silence. When next I heard the cry, it was coming from the right. I sat up in alarm. Had I heard two owls? My movement had awakened Grandpa. In a sleepy voice, he asked, What's the matter? Can't you sleep? Why are you sitting up like that for? Grandpa, I heard two screech owls, I said. Grunting and mumbling, he sat up. Rubbing the sleep from his eyes, he said, you heard two screech owls. Why, that's nothing. I heard two. Oh, I see. You're thinking of that bad luck superstition. There's nothing to that. Nothing at all. Now you lie down and go to sleep. Tomorrow is going to be a big day. I tried hard to fall asleep, but I couldn't. I couldn't get the owls out of my mind. Had I really heard two? Were we going to have bad luck? Surely nothing bad could happen. Not on such a wonderful hunt. I found peace in my mind by telling myself that the owl had changed trees. Yes, that was it. He had simply flown out of one tree into another. The next morning, while having breakfast, Grandpa started kidding me about the screech owls. I wish you could have caught one of those owls last night, he said. We could have boiled them in our coffee pot. I've heard there's nothing like a strong hoot owl coffee. It wasn't a hoot owl, Grandpa, I said. It was a screech owl. I don't know for sure if I heard one or two. It could have been just one. Pointing to a small red oak, I said, I think this is the first, I think the first time I heard him, he was over there. The next time, it was over in that direction. Maybe he changed trees. I sure hope so. Grandpa saw I was bothered. You don't believe that hogwash superstition, do you? Bad luck. Bah, there's nothing to it. Papa laughed and said, These mountains are full of that jinx stuff. If a man believed it all, he'd go crazy. The encouraging words from Papa and Grandpa helped me. But there was still some doubt. It's hard for a young boy to completely forget things like that. Breakfast over and our gear stowed back in the buggy, we left for Bluebird Creek. On the day, Grandpa drove a little faster than he had on the previous one. I was glad for this, for I was anxious to reach the campground. About noon, he stopped the team. I heard him ask Papa, Is that Black Fox Hollow? No, Papa said. This is Waterfall. Black Fox is the next one over. Why? Well, Grandpa said, There's supposed to be a white flag in the mouth of, of Black Fox. That's where we leave the road. The camp is in the river bottoms. By this time, I was so excited, I stood up on the buggy box so I could get a better view. Maybe you ought to step them up a little, Grandpa, I said. It's getting pretty late. Papa joined in with loud laughter. You just take it easy, he said. We'll get there in plenty of time. Besides, these mares can't fly. The first, I saw the flag first. There it is, Grandpa, I shouted. Where, he asked. Over there, see, tied on that grapevine. As we left the main road, I heard Papa say, Boy, boy, look at all those tracks. Sure has been a lot of traveling on this road. The smoke over there must be coming from the camps, Grandpa said. When we came into the side of the camp, I couldn't believe what I saw. I stared in amazement. I had never seen so many people at one gathering. 
Tents were spread out over an acre and a half of ground, all colors, shapes, and sizes. There were odd-looking cars, buggies, wagons, and saddle horses. I heard Grandpa say almost in a whisper, I knew there would be a lot of people here, but I never expected so many. I saw the astonished look on my father's face. Off to one side of the camp, under a large black gum tree, we set up our tent. I tied my dogs to the buggy and fixed a nice bed for them under it. After everything was taken care of, I asked if I could look around the camp. Sure, Grandpa said. Go any place you want to go, only don't get in anyone's way. I started walking through the large camp. Everyone was friendly. Once I heard a voice say, that's the boy who owns those two little red hounds. I've heard they're pretty good. If my head had gotten any bigger, I know it would have burst. I walked on as straight as a cane break cane. I looked at the hounds. They were tied in pairs here and there. I had seen many coon hounds, but none could equal these. There were red bones, blue ticks, walkers, and bloodhounds. I marveled at their beauty. All were spotlessly clean with slick, glass, glossy coats. I saw beautiful leather leashes and brass-studded collars. I thought about my dogs. They were tied with small cotton ropes and had collars made from old check-line leather. As I passed from one set of dogs to another, I couldn't help but wonder if I had a chance to win. I knew that in the veins of these hounds flowed the purest of breeded blood. No finer coon hounds could be found anywhere. They came from the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, the Bayou Country of Louisiana, the Red River Bottoms of Texas, and the Flinty Hills of the Ozarks. Walking back through the camp, I could feel the cold fingers of doubt squeezing my heart. One look at my dogs drove all doubt away. In the eyes of little Anne, it seemed I could read the message. Don't worry, just wait. We'll show them. That night, Grandpa said, Tomorrow they'll have a contest for the best-looking hound. Which one, are, which one are you going to enter? I told him I didn't think I'd enter either one of my dogs. They were so little, I didn't think they had a chance. Grandpa got all huffed up. He said, It doesn't make any difference how little they are. They're coon hounds, aren't they? I asked him if he'd seen any other hounds. He said, Yes, I've seen them all. Sure, they're big and good dogs too, but it makes no difference. I don't care if your dogs are no bigger than a snuff can. They still have a chance. Now, which one are you going to enter? I couldn't decide. I said, I think I'll think it over tonight and let you know tomorrow. The next morning, when I stepped outside of the tent, I saw men everywhere. They were combing and brushing their dogs, getting them pruned for the beauty contest. Beautiful combs and brushes were used to brush expensive oils into their glossy hair. Going over to my dogs, I stood and looked at them. I started to untie old Dan, but taking a closer look at him, I could see that he could never win a beauty contest. His face and ears were a mass of old scars caused by the many fights with the tough old coons and bobcats. I held his head in my hands and felt sorry for him, but I loved him that much more. I looked over at little Anne. I couldn't see any scars. I laughed because I knew why. She was too smart to walk right up into the face of a fight. She would wait until old Dan took a hold and then dart, and then dart in. I untied her rope and walked her over to our tent. My father and grandfather were gone. No doubt they were over in some tent visiting old friends or making new ones. Looking around to find something I could use to groom my dog, I saw Grandpa's open suitcase. There, right on top, was the very thing I needed, his beautiful bone-handled hairbrush and his ivory comb. Picking them up, I turned them over and over in my hand. Little Anne stood looking at, looking at me. Impulsively, I reached down and raked her from shoulder to hip with the brush. She seemed to like it. I knew I shouldn't do it, but I decided to use them. I, knowing I had no oils, I got some butter from our grocery box. With the homemade butter and Grandpa's hair set, I brushed her until she shone. All the time I was grooming her, she tried to lick the butter from my hands. The job completed, I stepped back and inspected her. I was surprised by the change. Her short red hair glistened with everyone in perfect place. 
Shaking my finger at her, I said, If you lay down and roll, I'll wear you out, although I knew I wouldn't. Hearing a lot of movement outside, I looked down. Men were, men were setting their dogs on a long table, which had been built in the center of the campground. Leading little Anne to it, I picked her up and set her on the table, too. I told her to act like a lady. She wagged her tail as though she understood. I untied her rope and stepped back. After the dogs were all lined up, the judging started. Four judges walked around the table, walking around and around the table, looking at them from all angles. When one of them would point to a hound, he was taken down and eliminated from the contest. Dog after dog was disqualified. Little Anne was still on the table. My eyes were wide, my throat dry, and my heart thumping. One judge stopped right in front of Little Anne. My heart stopped too. Reaching over, he patted her on the head. Turning to me, he asked, Is this your dog? I couldn't speak. I just nodded my head. He said, She's a beautiful hound. He walked on down the line. My heart started beating again. There were eight dogs left. Little Anne was still holding her own. Then there were four. I was ready to cry. Two more were taken down. Little Anne and a big walker hound owned by Mr. Kyle were the only ones left. The judges couldn't seem to make up their minds. Everyone started shouting, walk them, walk them. I didn't know what that meant. Mr. Kyle and I were told to go to one end of the table and our dogs were placed at the other end. Mr. Kyle snapped his fingers to call and called to his dog. The big hound started walking toward his master. What a beautiful sight it was. He walked like a king. His body was stiff and straight, his head high in the air. His large muscles quivered and jerked under his glossy coat. But then something went wrong. Just before he reached the end, he broke his stride, turned, and jumped down from the table. A low murmur ran through the crowd. It was my turn. Three times I tried calling to little Anne. The words just wouldn't come out. My throat was too dry. The vocal cords refused to work, but I could snap my fingers. That was all I needed. She started toward me. I held my breath. There was silence all around me. As graceful as any queen, with her head held high in the air and her long red tail arched in a perfect rainbow, my little dog walked down the table. With her warm gray eyes staring straight at me, on she came. Walking up to me, she laid her head on my shoulder. As I put my arms around her, the crowd exploded. During the commotion, I felt hands slapping me on the back and I heard the words, congratulations, time after time. The head judge came over to me and made a speech. Handing me a small silver cup, he said, Congratulations, son. It was justly won. The tears kept, came rolling. I gathered my dog up in my arms and walked to our tent. Grandpa followed, proudly carrying the cup. That evening, the head judge stepped up on the table. He had a small box in his hands. He shouted, Over here, men. I have some announcements to make. <coughs> Excuse me. We all gathered around. In a loud voice, he said, Gentlemen, the contest will start tonight. I'm sure most of you have been in these hunts before. For those of you who haven't, I will explain the rules. Each night, five sets of dogs will be taken out to hunt. A judge will go along with each pair of hounds. Every morning, the judges will turn that night's catch. The two hounds that tree the most coons will qualify for the championship runoff. The other four sets will be eliminated from the hunt. Of course, if there is a tie, both sets will qualify. On the following nights, only those hounds tying for first night's score or getting more will be in the runoff.